Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. On this episode, I sat down with Brian O'Keefe, who's probably best known as a photographer in the fly fishing world, but over the years, he's also worn a lot of other hats, guide, tackle rep, um, and he's traveled all over the world. He's fished every kind of place you could imagine, saltwater, freshwater, and uh, taken a lot of pictures. If you've flipped through any fly fishing magazine over the years, you've probably come across a few of his pictures. So he also happens to make his home here in Central Oregon. So he was a great guy to talk to. Enjoyed the talk a lot, and uh, hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. All right, I'm sitting here with Brian O'Keefe. Brian, thanks for coming down and taking the time to sit down and chat with me. My pleasure, Ed. Um, so there's a lot of uh, dogs jumping up on you. <laughs> there are a lot of things we could attach to your name, photographer, um, renowned fly fisherman, uh, traveler. Uh, co-founder with Catch Magazine, is that right? Yeah, Todd Bone and I started it about eight, nine years ago now. Okay, yeah, it seems, I'm, I'm, I've been a subscriber since the beginning. Oh, and, that's uh, great. Big fan, love to Good. see it every, every time I get it. Yeah, um, I should just update you on one thing. I, okay. I gave Todd my half ownership so he could have the whole thing. He's got kids and he's just so into it. And I branched out to do other things and okay. I still contribute to each issue and help Todd. And I'm his biggest cheerleader, so. Yeah. Um, I'm not technically part of Catch anymore, but I still like to be there in spirit. Yeah, and uh, still contribute some. You said yeah, every yeah. issue. Yeah, it's a really cool, uh, it's a cool product. Yeah, it's and, fun. Uh, I look forward to seeing it. So, so what is the what kind of things are you most involved with at this point? Uh, oh well, I just wanted to do something a little bit different. Uh, making a magazine is really fun and challenging, and I learned a lot. But it is 50, 60 hours a week on a computer, yeah. and uh, we get out and have our fun. But then there's just lots and lots of times I'd email Todd at 2 at night. I'm sorry, not 2 at night. <laughs> 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And he'd get right back to me. So he was working. And I'm working. <laughs> middle of the night. So I just wanted to get something more uh, outside and yeah. maybe more travel related. So I did a little year and a half gig with the fly shop in Reading with their mm -hmm. travel department to do basically projects. But those projects included going to Brazil, going to Kamchatka, you know, going to Belize. It was pretty good work, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, and then I kind of segued from that to a company I work with now called Eleven Experience, and they own lodges in Iceland and Chile, mm -hmm. Mothership in uh, Bahamas and Florida, and the lodge in Colorado. So they do heli, heli skiing and some heli fishing and then regular guided fishing in those places too. Oh, wow. So they're a, a big company with two to three hundred employees and they're all over the world, but not many people know who they are, so my job is to sort of put them on the map. Mm -hmm. and, get exposure, work at some of the fly shows, um, do some uh, magazine work for them, and, and just get their brand known by anglers. Yeah, uh, at the 11 in Iceland, I, I remember reading about that yeah. that lodge there, that, that looked amazing. All the rest of them sound amazing <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah, some people say that Deplar Farm Lodge in Iceland is possibly the nicest fishing lodge in the world. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's very expensive. Everything in Iceland is super expensive, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, I don't believe in a, in a trip of a lifetime. I think you should have a trip of a lifetime every year, but <laughs> right. it might rate pretty high on your trip of yeah. a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Um, well, good luck with the new venture and, and doing that. Um, so kind of just wanted to talk about, you know, getting started, how you, how you got into the, I mean, the, the term the industry gets thrown around a lot, yeah. um, but all of us just liked fishing and that's why we're doing it and yeah. talking about it. So. Right. 
You, where did you grow up? Where, how did you start fishing, start fly fishing? Yeah, well, I grew up in a little town called Apple Valley, Washington, which is now basically part of Bellevue, Washington. Mm -hmm. um, and so we used to build tree houses and things where Microsoft is. So, okay. you know, it was just trees and wilderness when I was a kid. It was a, actually a really nice place to grow up. We had night skiing after school. We built our own ski boat and we fished a lot. And then what really helped was my mother's father and actually, and her mother too, my grandparents were hardcore fly fishers in the Western United States from Mount Shasta to Missoula, because my grandfather was a forest ranger. Oh, wow. And he was a dry fly purist, you know, bamboo rod, silk line, because you know, he was born in the 1800s. You yeah, know, so they didn't have our you know, super cool tackle we right, have now. Yeah. So I grew up with a bamboo rod, a silk wow. line that you have to dress every day to make it float. and. And, you know, he fished the Bitterroot, the Blackfoot, the Clark's Fork on a daily basis, and so did I in the summertime as a little kid. From about 8 to 15, I fished with my grandfather in Montana, and wow. uh, they had gone to New Zealand in 1951 to fly fish. So when you hear about all these trout bums and, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to explore <laughs> somewhere, you know, it's already been done. Yeah, and yeah, then my yeah. grandfather... Uncharted territory. Yeah, yeah. So my grandfather was spent like five or six months in New Zealand in 1951. And wow. the pictures I grew up with, with these giant brown trout and his famous bamboo rod. And so I basically saved my money mowing lawns and washing cars to go to New Zealand after high school. So I left when I was 19 and spent 11 months in New Zealand. I followed so what, their, what year was that? It's 1973. Wow. When were you born? Uh, 81. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, now there's so many lodges and helicopter guides and all that, and I never saw another angler when I was there. Wow. And so I, I spent the whole fishing season backpacking into rivers and lakes, and then the whole winter skiing at uh, Coronet Peak on, in Queenstown. And then that led to going to Australia, then all over, and I finally came back and went to Oregon State and here at COCC in Bend. Okay. And that's how I kind of got here. But by the time I was 16 and had a driver's license, I was already, you know, a pretty good angler. I'd been fishing yeah. so much, and I even fished during my lunch hour at high school, and uh, I'd fish for bass in Lake Washington. But oh, okay. I was going to say, do you have sea run cuts up there? Is that Yeah, and those were only really fished for back then by yeah. accident. You'd kind of, you know, catch one now and then. When fishing for salmon. Fishing for steelhead, steelhead or something yeah. like that. But uh, so I just fished my brains out. And I might have been a little bit of a weird kid in that way, but uh, it sort of paid off in the long run yeah. because I, I just, I just went crazy and just wanted to fish and fish and explore more places. So uh, when I moved to Bend in '75, I'd already had a summer in Alaska, you know, a year in New Zealand, probably 300 days in Montana, lots of fishing in Idaho and British Columbia, Vancouver Island. And so I, when I moved to Bend, you know, you know I knew about Mount Bachelor. That's why I kind of wanted to live here yeah. and the Deschutes. But then even as a junior in high school from the Seattle area, I would drive all the way to the North Umpqua and fish yeah. down there in just tennis shoes and cut off jeans and no shirt. <laughs> and I actually fished a full sinking line and a skunk, and that's all I really had. And I'd caught a few <laughs> steelheads. So, I mean, I thought I was doing pretty well because yeah. the Umpqua is the Umpqua. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, that just... Sort of sums up how 
I was fanatical about it. And so, th so then you ended up in Central Oregon, going to school, and then and then you've been here since. Yeah, in yeah. and out. You know, I yeah. moved around a little bit. I I worked down at Diamond Lake one winter with the Mount Bailey uh, snowcat ski gig. Okay. I was on the ski patrol at Mount Hood Meadows. I worked at Mount Bachelor. I went to Sun Valley and skied for a winter. But I usually always came back here, yeah. uh, especially to fish. And then I started guiding on the Deschutes in the late seventies. And then I'd, I'd go to the North Saniam, and then I'd go to the North Umpqua, and then the Klamath in California, and finish that up in about November. Guiding all the way? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then I sort of segued to Alaska and worked at a couple lodges up there. And at one of those lodges, I met Dennis Black, who started Umpqua Feather Merchants, and now it's just called Umpqua. Mm -hmm. And so he lived in Glide on the North Umpqua, and we had that in common, and we fished down there a few times, and, and his business was mainly importing nicks and fly tying materials from India but then he started really the first commercial factory fly tying, tying operation yeah. and and so and then Umqua became the Umqua it is today a giant company but yeah. so I was his first rep in the northwest in Alaska and had parts of Idaho and then that segued to working for Sims and Orvis and Patagonia, and I've been hired and fired from everybody. So, <laughs> so you were so you were guiding, and then started as a rep, and did you shift right over to rep, or were you doing a little bit of both? No, I actually I shifted because I made a promise to myself I'd quit guiding on my thirtieth birthday because I wanted to do something else and not just yeah. go too far down that path where I get kind of stuck yeah. in that rut. Mm -hmm. um, and I'd done it long enough to you know be quite happy with what i'd done and i really wanted to see alaska you know really the boonies of alaska yeah. the, the bristol bay and all over and that was one way to do it without paying for it right so uh so i started the rep thing when i was about 30 and uh at one time i had montana idaho parts of wyoming washington oregon and alaska so i had the best fishing That's territory in the world surprise you know surprise unbelievable region, yeah. yeah oh my god <laughs> So I'd fish a day, work a day, sometimes, yeah. fish two days. <laughs> and then uh, there was no cell phones, internet. You just had a little phone machine that said you were on the road. And, you know, my bosses never knew what that meant. I could be in Christmas <laughs> Island. <laughs> so there was, there was no way to track you down. And I did that for probably 21 or 22 years. It was a great run. And I actually kind of miss it. Um, but... Uh, you know, it was a just of, a lot of road time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that could be fishing time too. Because yeah. I, in the summertime, I was on this big trout tour, especially Montana and Idaho. And in the fall, I'd work all the steelhead spots from Washington, parts of Idaho, and all of Oregon, and would just kind of fish, work, fish, work. And you know, I wasn't married; I didn't have kids, so that worked out. I didn't have any pets. I didn't have any house plants. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was great. It was yeah. fun. You know, there's trade out trade outs to everything. I mean, I can see here you've got kids and you <laughs> got do. dogs and, <laughs> you know, that's a great thing. I just yeah. didn't go that route. I did something different, but probably just because I was a little selfish or to just got to fish the next spot, you know. Different, you know, <laughs> you hit the fork and you go one way or yeah. the other. And, uh, Never know. I'm, I'm envious to hear all these stories. Yeah. So, so then... Obviously, I assume that photography was part of the, the trip all along. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I enjoy photography, you know, not as much as fishing, but I think it together they just go great. And, yeah. you know, today with cell phones and point-and-shoot cameras and stuff, everybody's a photographer, and you see this amazing stuff on Instagram. And, you know, really back in the 
70s, um, when I first started selling, you know, cover photos and stuff to magazines, there were maybe a half a dozen serious fly fishing photographers. Yeah. And they were kind of sprinkled around the country, a couple back east, a couple in California, me up here, and a few others. And that's, you saw the same names on all the pictures, yeah. all, all for years and years and years. And then when the digital era hit, you know, that just blew up. And yeah. now every guide, just because of a certain weather phenomenon or a certain big fish or situation, a guide, a serious angler, you know, anyone can really just get great stuff. And, yeah. and iPhones are a pretty darn good camera. So, yeah. um, you know, being a dedicated fly fishing photographer is a little harder than it used to be. But I never... Because there's so much competition. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's actually prices have gone down to pre-1970 levels. Yeah. So it doesn't pay very well. But it opens a lot of doors. And, you know, I've been out of the country over 120 times. And I never would have been able to do that if I wasn't trading, you know, a lodge for photos or going with right. Field and Stream magazine or some magazine assignment or helping someone with a website. It, it all, you know, created this fantastic lifestyle. But, you know, I would never have had enough money to pay for all those trips. Right. So one thing leads to another, and yeah. it, it, it worked side by side. So... You know, I had my first picture published when I was 16. Wow. And I was on the, you know, yearbook in high school and had my own dark room at the high school. So I was really into all that mm -hmm. back then. And I shot a lot of black and white. But uh, it was just a natural, you know, combination of hobbies, fly fishing and photography. And, and now it's blown up to the point where I'm actually, to be honest, a little bit disgusted with it yeah. to a degree because, <laughs> you know, I think... I think Facebook is going to kill more fish than any dam yeah. ever built. You know, we're just loving it to death. And right. so, um, anyway, I mean, I'm a little bit jealous, too, of, of uh, just how it's, you know, blown up and people can be kind of insta-famous yeah. in right. social <laughs> meme media. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I paid my dues. I had a great run. And yeah, I'm going to keep absolutely. doing it because it is fun. Still doing your trips, like you said. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You've established yourself. So, uh, definitely done a good job um how about this winter did you have any travel this winter have you mostly been doing the shows yeah i've done about six shows uh, boston new jersey atlanta off to seattle tomorrow boston in the winter time it's gorgeous oh that's my hometown oh is it really well it was one degrees <laughs> oh, <that'll, laughs> yeah. i heard about some of the but, cold but i did have a day off so i drove out to cape cod for the first time that oh, was nice. a fantastic place i really yeah. liked it and no people out there of course because it's freezing cold yeah. But, um, yeah, I love Boston. I like going to the hockey games there and mm -hmm. just walking the city. It's great. But, um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to do about 11 shows this winter and then fish. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, I, I don't, I mean, I used to ski so much. I'm not that into it as I used to be. So, you know, really, if you don't ski and you're in Bend, Oregon, I'd almost rather out of town you know have the company <laughs> put me up at courtyard by marriott and have a nice room and big screen tv and a yeah. swimming pool and, yeah. and just go uh, kind of gypsy through the winter and yeah, no, get a lot of work fun. done yeah and then play when the weather gets better i'm not really a cold weather fisherman i yeah. did a lot of that it just doesn't do it for me younger, as much anymore younger man's game <laughs> maybe it is <laughs> yeah foolish, foolish man's game <laughs> yeah i just get cold fingers and yeah. it just doesn't you know yeah it's all right but yeah 
I'd rather go boat fishing. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> so you have some uh, tropical trips coming up? You know, I don't have anything on the books right now, but I will. Pretty I just an annual thing. Yeah, oh, oh yeah. And the, the, the 11 experience, you know, they've got a mothership in the Bahamas, and they got a, another boat in the Everglades, and I'll, I'll find some tarpon or something pretty soon. But yeah. uh, I never make big plans way far in advance. I kind of wait till I see a gap in the schedule, then go somewhere. Nice. Well, good luck in choosing. That sounds <laughs> yeah, great. Really. Um, so uh, one thing that sticks in my head is that you came to Central Oregon sort of 30, 40 years ago, and uh, you've been here ever since, and you've traveled all over the world. Uh, what, what is it about the Central Oregon that's kept you here and um, just some of the fisheries that you really enjoy here? Yeah. Not, not giving away any spots, well, but just... There's um, nothing se very secret <laughs> anymore. But, uh, but it's, it's, a, it's a diverse, like I said, I came here, I've been here for six years, six years now, I think, and uh, came here from another place, and it's just a really diverse... Uh, yeah. place to fish there's so many different options yeah there. that's exactly why I moved to in my ski racing days I, there was always a race at Bachelor and it, it was always sunny yeah. always had good <laughs> snow and you crossed the Deschutes a few times getting here and so as a kid I thought God, this is a pretty cool place so when I got an opportunity to move here you know, Bend was only 11,000 people and like one stoplight. That's yeah, I know. It's so crazy. I mean, here. where you live right now, we used to deer hunt. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> and, uh, well, I mean, I, I actually, I can't stand it when people talk about the good old days. You know, it's, it is what it is. You know, yeah. Bend has grown a lot. It's mm -hmm. a fact of life. And it's still a lot of fun. Uh, still a yeah. lot of uh, great fishing opportunities because we have alpine lakes. We got everything in the desert, spring creeks, spring rivers. Got everything from smallmouth bass to Chinook salmon and bull trout. Bull trout. Not a lot of parts of the country where you <laughs> no. can target. Yeah. I mean, you can harvest bull trout up in Billy Chinook. So yeah, I know it yeah, is pretty crazy. A, that, that alone is a unique. Yeah, situation. there there are you know the Metolius is a, a river you could fish your whole life and mm -hmm. learn something every day. And but that can be said for East Lake and even Hosmer and other places where you know you got to have your game on pretty good some days. You know the right equipment, good technique. Right. And uh, I like the challenge of public water, and I like the challenge of hard to catch fish. So yeah. sometimes it's best of both worlds. And so uh, there is a lot to do here, and, and there is a long season. And then you throw in the skiing and golf and brew pubs and, you know. <laughs> Sunshine. Yeah, like and it, yeah, so Bend is a nice spot, but I'm going to tell you right now, I can't go back to the 60s very well, but in the 70s and 80s, Bend was utopia. I mean, I don't think anywhere in the country was as good i mean there's some amazing places in michigan and and in montana wyoming but short season no steelhead um, or no no skiing no whitewater rafting no golf right. i mean this is really a, a great place to yeah. live and you know it's just kind of blown up but you just have to stay one step ahead of yeah. everybody you know? you're still there yeah you're just a half mile away from here yeah so. um well, that's cool. Having done fishing around here, obviously all around the Northwest, all around the world, um, at this point, are there fisheries that you feel like, not, not necessarily fisheries, but um, styles of fishing within fly fishing that you feel like are overlooked that, that people should uh, pay attention to, whether it's something in another country or something in the U.S., local, just uh, yeah. certain kinds of fisheries that maybe you've, you've come to? 
Yeah, I think it's even though it's getting a lot of press now, the jungle fishing in the Amazon tributaries is yeah. just super fun for peacock bass. Yeah. And you see a lot of videos on Golden Dorado in Bolivia and Argentina, and that's just mind-boggling cool. Yeah. Um, and saltwater opportunities, there's still a lot of new places to go and things to check out. And, you know, that's just really, really fun. And sometimes the weather's incredible and just different cultures, good food and all that. Um, around here, I, I see that there's, like some of my friends are diehard steelheaders. Yeah. But when we go up and fish 6X somewhere, they're almost hopeless. Or we go <laughs> lake fishing. Because Central Oregon and really lots of other parts of Oregon have great stillwater fishing. Yeah. And, you know, they just don't get it. So I, I just think to really appreciate living here, you should fish the lakes. They're tough rivers like Fall River and the Metolius and steelhead fish and hit the John Day and, and go bass fishing and yeah. other things and just do it all. Because who doesn't like having 12 fly rods and <laughs> 20 reels and, you know, big huge boxes of flies well, well like you said when you were younger and you want to explore i feel like that's just part of the game is getting into fishing and then you want to look around the next bend and sneak yep. across some private property to get to the spot <laughs> where people can't get to and then you know you expand it out try different fisheries and i think that's natural it's a natural oh, yeah. for everybody but i think it's really cool that that you seem to stay involved in all different you know trout bass you yeah. know i see pictures and videos that, that you're involved with and it's not just I'm too good. I, I graduated from all that, and I just yeah. fish steelhead now. I, I think it's cool to have the oh, I know. I'm just full slate of fisheries it, it, all year. Yeah, I live out in Powell Butte, so there's a carp lake on the ranch I live on, and it's oh. just loaded. I mean, there's ten thousand eight pound carp, and they oh, wow. tail like bonefish. And then there's small bass ponds out there that have nice bass and bluegill. And then my neighbors, yeah, my one neighbor has a really nice clear water. It's all Deschutes irrigation water, unfortunately. Yeah. It's clear water bass pond, but it's pretty big. Yeah. And he's got monster crappie in there. I mean, oh, yeah. they are just gigantic. And seriously, you catch one of those giant crappie, it's one of the coolest fish you'll catch all year. Yeah. You know, they're huge. They're really pretty. You know, so I get jacked up on everything. Warm water fish, saltwater fish, alpine lakes. As long as they're cool looking and fun to catch. I mean, yeah. fishing's just fun for me any way I can get it. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, I, well, I don't want to keep you too long here. That's about uh, the time, and I uh, appreciate, appreciate you sitting down and talking with me. No, Thanks, Ed, Brian. thank you very much. To keep up to date on the podcast, follow Central Oregon on the fly on Instagram. See you there.